Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Greetings, friends. Your host, Matt Drink, on here for another episode of the Eternal Optimist podcast. It is truly an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you today. Thanks so much for lending your ear. Today's time will be worth it. It is going to be impactful. Get ready to listen to a superstar in the space that she's in. Let's go ahead and dive in and start sharing some about Dr. Saida Zaidi. She is uniquely positioned with one foot in academic research, the other in a coaching and leadership development practice. After qualifying as an architect at the prestigious McIntosh School of Architecture in Glasgow, she went on to have a successful career in local government, where Saida led the procurement of regeneration projects with a value of up to 300 million pounds. She graduated in 2011 from Myler Campbell's Mastered Program and became a business coach. And she's been coaching and facilitating leadership development in person and online ever since then. She has two master's degrees with distinction in construction, economics, and management, and applied positive psychology. In 2014, she qualified as a certified high-performance coach with the High Performance Institute in America and has studied advanced business neurolinguistic programming with Sue Knight. She is currently the first and only Muslim to receive a doctorate in practical theology in the entire country of Britain. A pioneer in the diversity and inclusion space, Saida's approach of belonging and understanding contextual intersectionality and experiential learning is impacting academic institutions, professional organizations, and individuals keen on exploring diversion, inclusivity, and belonging in the coaching facilitation space and beyond. Wow, that was a mouthful. Uh, on the human side, Saida, she's lived in eight countries. She's traveled the world with her husband and family before she returned to live in her home in the city of London. She's a fellow of the Association for Project Management, a trustee and committee member with the British and Irish Association of Practical Theology, and the founding convener at the Center for Belonging and Understanding. Wow, that is quite a page of introduction. Let me tell you about the human Saida that I know so well and respect. She is phenomenal. She is someone that listens with an ear, that's able to be patient and understand when people don't quite see the entire world uh, with sensitivity and awareness. You know, she is the person that will hear someone who might be sharing something that could be challenging, that might even be offensive. I unintentionally may have offended her in our pre-interview when I said the word Muslim. And actually, she corrected me and shared with patience and love that Muslim is a word that is actually the English version uh, and, and the real word is Muslim, 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 okay? So even the tiny things she is really keen into and she's got the hugest heart and the story she shares to kick things off today about her challenges will blow your mind. So without any further ado, 
let me introduce you to a dear friend, someone I respect and trust very dearly, Dr. Saida Zaidi. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. It is my sincere honor, pleasure, joy to welcome a new friend, a friend for the last year and a half, Dr. Saida Zaidi. I'm really well. I'm very excited to be here with you, Matt, and looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. We've talked for a few minutes before this. It's already been eye-opening for me, and you opened my eyes a year and a half ago when we met when I joined the exchange community for my online exchange training back in March of 2021. You were on a panel of speakers that welcomed us and gave us your story, and it was an amazing experience. I've always held you in very high regard, so I'm very pleased to be able to connect with you today. And since then, you've actually added two letters and a dot to the front of your name, So uh, congratulations on that. Maybe we start with that. How did that happen? What was that journey like of becoming a doctor? I'd love to hear more, please. So the journey was love-hate, if I'm honest. I think anyone who does a PhD will tell you that, but perhaps even more so because of the research that I was doing. And so essentially what I did was I was exploring the intersection between gender religion and race. And my thesis ended up being a study that looked at identity, intersectionality and interculturality. And these are kind of quite fancy terms, but essentially what it really means is it was me exploring what it means to be different within communities. So my thesis was about me being the lone Muslim woman in British practical theology, which is essentially a Christian practical theology. And so there's obviously kind of issues and nuances and challenges and moments of joy and celebration that come within all of that. And it was really kind of holding the mirror up and saying, well, look, this is where I think we are from a different perspective. And that's very much in line with the work that I do as a coach and with organizations and even within the research that I'm continuing to do. So it's that piece about kind of like stepping back and saying, actually, if we look at this, perhaps there's a different perspective and maybe what you're seeing isn't everything. So it's really drawing out what those blind spots are and helping to move the conversation on by identifying some of that. You mentioned that love-hate relationship and that uh, it was challenging on this journey. And if you can look back over the journey, what might have been some of the challenging parts that caused you to question it or just the hardest parts for you in this journey, Saida? The biggest challenges were actually acknowledging the reality of the situation. Even when one is in a scenario where it's not the best and you're kind of like marginalized or treated differently for whatever reason it may be, writing about it and then analyzing it and critiquing it is quite difficult. 
And so there were times when I would be looking at articles and reading what I wrote and observing the feedback and just realizing, actually, I can't carry on today. I have to step away from it and do something completely different because it is exhausting work. And I think that was perhaps one of the biggest challenges. It's about continuing knowing that it's hard, but you've got to carry on. And so for me, I viewed the work that I'm doing very much as I'm not even going to say opening the door because I don't think that some of these conversations are ready yet but it was just about saying well look that door over there exists and it's real and here are some of the challenges and the complexities and the nuances that need to be considered before it can even be opened. I can see how you're close to that subject matter and you have to analyze your own words and hear feedback about something that is incredibly close to the heart. And you may be getting feedback from people who don't understand it quite the same way. And I can see how that could put you into a very challenging predicament. And we're all about sharing the challenges and sharing the things that have helped us to succeed or to move forward in the world. I wonder whether it's this challenge or we can go into another challenge. I love to hear something in your world that was very difficult in the past that you have come to terms with, maybe overcome, or maybe still working to overcome. If you could share us another challenge, we'd love to listen. Perhaps the biggest challenge of my life really was literally coming to the end of my studies to be an architect at that point of qualification and then being part of a car accident where a white van went into the back of my car and wrote my car off and almost did the same with me. And that took a long time to recover from. I would say that the thing that helped my recovery was time and distance. And I think actually it's exactly the same for some of the material that came up in my research as well. When a scenario happens that's complicated and difficult to process, Thinking that you can do it all in one go is perhaps, I would say, being a wee bit naive. And it's then about how do you allow it to happen naturally and then to keep coming back and forth with it and kind of like giving yourself the space so that you kind of invite new bits of processing. You look at the situation differently. And that's the way I think to use it as growth. So, When I had my car accident, it was probably one of the most horrific things that I've ever experienced in my life. And I would say I've had lots of joyous, wonderful experiences. I've also had lots of challenges. But now I sit here 20 years on from that, in fact, more than 20 years on from that, and would say that it was probably one of the most wonderful experiences. And here's the kind of caveat to that, because I know that people will go through adversity and not always get to that period of being able to approach it as a a post-traumatic growth scenario. But I'm lucky I've been able to do that. So car accident, 20 years now, you're able to see it as something that has served you, something that has, you can see value from it now. At the time though, what was the extent of the injury or what happened at that time for the next day, week, month, year that journey. We ended up going into hospital and it's funny. So I couldn't hear all of the conversations that were happening around me. But what I heard afterwards was that the police were talking about the positioning of my car. So it was on a bridge. And essentially, if it had gone a wee bit more, then it would have gone over. Right. So that was the 
kind of context of it. And I remember just not being able to get out. I just went into a bit of a panic, to be honest, because I felt trapped and all of those other things, not really realising the full extent of what was going on. So anyway, so I ended up in hospital, had quite bad back injuries and various other things, left hospital unable to peel a potato. That's one thing that I remember kind of like trying to think, how do I function? How do I do things that would have just been usual and that the irony of the scenario is what was I doing in that car I just finished work and I was about to drive to the gym so and I was training for half marathons at the time so I'd gone from being somebody that was really quite active and fit and physically and intellectually and all of those other things and I could just see that the journey that my life was about to take to then ending up in a place where it felt as if everything had been taken away. And so I was unable to work for some time and I felt that I couldn't necessarily go back to the practice that I was doing. So I trained as an architect. I tried to work as an architect afterwards, but because of the nature of going on sites and it being quite physical activity, it was hard for me to do then. So in the end, I ended up taking a role as a project manager and went into project development and regeneration and things like that and worked in local government where I ended up as a director responsible for the regeneration and redevelopment of entire schools estates. So good outcome, but very complex kind of like journey to get there. Well, you thank for sharing. I'm envisioning just the terror of hanging off a bridge, trapped, unable to move, then later not being able to hear and the recovery. So I'm feeling that. And my heart goes out to you for that. And to build on that, you dropped a huge nugget of wisdom, several. One of them that I made note of was you have to allow things to happen naturally over time. And what I take away from that is that in any moment with immense physical pain, mental anguish, challenge, it's not pretty. It's not going to be this great opportunity, even if I am an eternal optimist to spin it as this moment is great. You know, my family member just passed away. I, On the worst day of my life, my dad died. It was hard to say that this is great. Something good is happening right now because it's not. But when you look over the course of a timeline, what happens as a result, you rebuilt or you worked on your identity. You moved to a place where it brought you to where you are right now. And something happened up here. And I would love to kind of hone in on this. This is where I'm so impressed by you from the moment I met you. And even now, even more so hearing this story of incredible like physical trauma and then your identity as being fit and active. That's not there at that moment or it's on the sidelines waiting for recovery. I mean, I wonder about that moment because I know that was the hardest part of my life was when my identity of being a tall athlete, all this up and and then when I couldn't walk and I was disabled for a while, that was the hardest part is the identity confusion and, and collision there. So really interesting how you're presenting that because actually I did become registered disabled for a while and I think I found that to be one of the most challenging experiences because you know, like you said, you go from being fit to then having all of that taken away from you. And I remember quite clearly, and I think that the point that kind of created the pivot for me in my head was just waking up one day I was I was sitting on the sofa we have something in the UK called Jeremy Kyle which is the equivalent of these shows where they get people on and rip their lives apart it was inspired by Jerry Springer so there we go and I just remember literally I was awake but I woke up if that makes sense and in that moment I thought this is not 
the extent of my life and I'm not going to allow it to be. And if this is what God wants, I get it, right? But actually, I don't think it is. And it was that journey, well, what? how far can I push things to see what rehabilitation can come and what can I get back of my intellect and physicality and psychological health and all of those other things. And I think if it wasn't for that moment, I might still be in that place. Things to be. And you hit a wall of some kind in that moment. And how can I push things? How can I bring it back and push things? So I love that you shared that. Thank you for going deep with us into that challenge. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there right now that are stuck in that. And they might be stuck for a number of reasons. It could be a physical disablement that has happened recently. It could be the loss of a loved one or the breakup of a relationship or the loss of a job or the loss of something. It might come from loss or it might come from something that we're not getting that we want. There comes a time we have to make a decision and you made that decision. What was the next step for you when you made that decision? And I'd love to kind of bring us forward and chronicle from there the rise to where you are now. And I say that rise, you're very humble. So you're not going to give yourself credit. I'll say you are amazing. You serve a lot of people and you inspire hundreds, if not thousands, like every day. So you may not say it out loud, but I will say you're amazing there. But take us back to that moment where you made that decision. What were the next steps that you did, Saida, to start pushing yourself back to to health? I think it's important to actually say that there was time between the accident and making the decision. So I know for me, when other adversities have happened in my life, I'm like, well, look, I know the process. Why can't I just do it? Why can't I just make the decision? And it's not that simple. You need to have time and space to process so that whatever it is, you are ready to then embrace that decision because we can do it artificially or it can happen and then the next steps follow. So for me, that thing happened. And I think literally the next day I phoned up the doctor and I said, look, I'm not having it. We need to do something and whatever you're offering me right now is not good enough. And they didn't necessarily engage. And so I then went on a journey of research and learning. And 20 something years ago, the internet was not what it is today. So in that scenario, use these resources and find out all of the options that are available to you. And actually, I'll give you a more recent example of something. When the pandemic hit, I started to feel really fatigued and I was like, this doesn't make sense because usually people would describe me as being quite full on and I was tired all the time. So I went to the doctor, they ended up doing a chronic fatigue referral for me and I kept saying, no, this isn't right. I kind of was sensing what was going on and did the research then took it to them and said, actually, I think I'm perimenopausal. And because I'd done the research and I was able to present a case to them to say, this is one reason, they didn't then have the opportunity to just fob me off and say, it's fatigue, it's the pandemic, everyone's tired. And what was a great solution for me was that as soon as they put me on HRT, within three weeks, I felt like I was normal again. And so I think what I'm trying to demonstrate through this example, because perhaps it's more tangible and easier to understand for people is when you instinctively realize there's something going on, go away, do your research, look at the options and see which fits is in suitable for your scenario and then present that. 
So the action step from making the decision is doing the research and work and then make the case to whoever it is that can support you. And in situations, it will be medical practitioners and others, it will be your work. And in some situations, it will even be your family. But if you're ready to be able to present what you need in a clear and succinct way, chances are you're more likely to get it. Do the research, present it in a clear way, pick the people that you might need to present it to, and off we go. Take action. So there is work to be done before we just instinctively or, or naturally say, hey, let's, uh, let's just take action here. You do your research you see that this might take some time, you allow it to happen naturally, and you start by doing something, take some action, and and research could be the way to start. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because I'm listening to your kind of summary of what I've said, and what's coming to my mind is there's a prophetic saying in Islam which says, tie your camel and then leave the rest to God. And for me, what I observe is a lot of people do the bit where they leave the rest to God, but they don't do the tying the camel. or They spend so much time tying the camel and doing the research, but then don't do the next piece. And when you have a strategic approach to these things, you've got to do both. You can't just pick one. And that's why making the decision, doing the research, and then taking the action is all part of the chain of events. I did not mean to turn this into a plug for coaching, but you are an excellent coach because you just coach someone in challenge by sharing your story of how you overcame your challenge. I think there's no better way than to be able to say that you did it. This is how I did it. This is what I recommend you do. So I love your story. I would love to highlight everything that you are creating, that you're a part of in the world, Saida. And I'm highly biased. I'm a big fan because you've had influence on me. And for those of you that don't know, I think I shared this with Saida some time ago that all of this technology that maybe one day you'll see on my YouTube channel whenever I put that up, you'll see that they've got a high-def camera, got this nice tech setup. That's all from Saida because she taught me the tech setup. And the funny thing is, when we got started today, we were hearing all kinds of reverb and stuff on the microphone, and and it took like eight minutes to figure all that out. But either way, I'd love to hear, what is it that you're, and where are you leading people in the future? I suppose I'm going to answer that question by kind of saying, what do I think my life's work is now? And I know it sounds really fancy, but I've been having lots of thoughts about that. When you submit a thesis that spent, you've taken eight years working on and you receive feedback in the oral defense, it's a big deal. And it makes you pause and reflect on what you want to do and what you've done. And I think for me, One of the things that I really want to do is to enable people to have better conversations. So how do we literally hold space? Because when you can do that, actually, you're able to cultivate belonging and understanding for yourself and others. This is what being human is about, really. It's about creating that space. It doesn't have to be within a formal coaching setting. I think that is a particular scenario But for those people who aren't coaches, actually, you can listen and you can ask questions and you can improve someone's month, forget day, just by a two minute interaction in a coffee shop or in a car park or a supermarket. And I think that's the kind of influence that's really, really significant. So for me, 
all of this then leads to this piece about us understanding who we are much more. And there's that work on identity. And then how do we relate to each other? And then the process of doing that. So for me, the work that I do as a coach is more than just using a process. Actually, it's about using coaching as a methodology to enable enhanced human interaction and to enable people to really experience what human flourishing is for them, for their interactions, for their communities, for their workplace, and it goes on. We live in really, really challenging times where there's not even one global crisis, it's multiple that are happening. And you kind of wonder, how does one enhance the experience of life? And I think that happens through conversation and interactions. And sometimes you can even experience joy when you're not even engaging words with somebody. It's a smile or it's that kind of sense of knowing that someone can offer to you. And I think those things are really powerful, but we need to be intentional. How have this intentionality into, say, for example, how you're showing up right now? Uh, Yeah. How have you done that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think one of the things that we do now, especially after the pandemic, is that we run from meeting to meeting or conversation or experience to experience. We don't stop and we don't prepare. So one of the things that I've built in into my schedule is I have time where I come and I sit at my desk in advance. So before we began our pre-meet for this, I was at my desk kind of like 10 minutes beforehand thinking, well, what's my objective? What's my intention? How can I give all of these questions? And sometimes it's questions. Sometimes it's just closing your eyes and allowing things to emerge and for you to think and get ready. But the point is, It's about creating that space so that you can stop and think about how you're going to show up beforehand, have the experience. And then, for example, after this mat, I'll stay at my desk for five or 10 minutes and just then reflect. What did I learn? What did I give? How could I be better? And it's these things that enable us to do that period of reflection so that we're learning about ourselves. One of the reasons why I love coaching is because it enables people to pause and experience a kind of process in a place where they're given that opportunity to reflect and learn and do it themselves in a way that the conversations with your friends just will not be able to give you. And there's no agenda. So for me, this piece about kind of coming in and preparing and being intentional is really significant and is as important as the piece at the end, which then has that reflection. It's kind of like you need both of those in order for the thing in the middle to be optimum. This is amazing because I know a number of people who prepare on the front end. But what you're sharing is not only do you take time to be intentional about how you're going to show up to a conversation, podcast, interview, an interaction, you're intentional on the front end, You also, on the back end, have a feedback loop built in where you ask yourself the questions that were around learn, give, and improvement. Can you share those one more time? I've made general notes, but I didn't capture the exact questions about how you reflect. What might be those questions again, please? 
Yeah, it's interesting because beforehand I used to have a really structured process and I had all of these fancy things. But now, literally, you know, if I've got a, a blank piece of paper like this and a pen, it's enough. I, and so those things, what am I asking? I'm asking, what did I learn? What did I do well? And what could I improve on? And if, if that's all I do and spend five minutes doing it, and here's the really interesting thing, because it is that piece about taking the pen and just writing a few things down, because there's something really powerful about taking those words and putting them on a piece of paper and externalizing it, because your hand has memory, right? So this is the difference between typing it in, which I think is still valid if that's the only option that you have. So I'm not going to say don't do it because it's better to type in or to voice record a voice audio or something. But if you're able to find that pen and a bit of paper and write the words down and maybe even keep a little diary where you're kind of saying, okay, my intention for this meeting is X, Y, and Z, my reflections are, then over the course of a few weeks, you'll just start to see a pattern. And that then gives you information to kind of say, well, if I do want to grow in a way that is quite different, these are the things for me to work on. And I think the reason why this is really significant is because this stuff will not come out of a leadership training. It won't come out of coaching per se, unless you've actually done that work behind the scenes to then bring to a session. You know, this can only happen when you engage in a different way. And actually, I think what I'm sharing with you in some respects is a fine-tuned example of that piece that we discussed earlier in terms of making a decision. You, know, you make a decision, you reflect on it, follow through but you're doing this here in terms of how can you be a better human being and that's pretty amazing work you know I'm kind of like in I'm I'm, I'm listening to what I'm saying and thinking gosh like you know we need more of that don't we you've hit on the best kept secret hiding in plain sight you know a, a method to overcome the resistance you know to quote pressfield and look at the things that cause us to procrastinate or sit on the bench or or not to take action and one of those is we're not quite sure how to learn or it's scary to go on that learning journey you know and what might help us is a simple practice of taking a few minutes after an activity or start or even smaller than that, just at the end of the day, a few minutes, and ask yourself, you know, what did I learn today? What did I do well? What could I improve on? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really interesting because I used to do the gratitude journal at the end of the day, for example, and that's this piece that you're kind of somehow describing, you know, where at the end of the day, you think about three good things that happened and you reflect on that and then you go to sleep. And there's a lot of good reasons why that works, you know, <clears throat> They say that when you think positively before you go to bed, then positive hormones, the dose hormones are released and it kind of continues after you've gone to sleep. However, what's the kind of actuality of people doing this as an exercise? Because by the end of the day, they're exhausted, they're tired. And the other piece that's really interesting here is that when you're reflecting on your whole day, it seems like something really big and weighty. But when you've got a meeting or something, some small thing in the day, and you're just asking yourself what went well in that small thing, all of a sudden it becomes much more doable and it's less stressful and you're more likely to do it 
because it's going to take you a minute or two. Whereas I know for me, when I'm asked to reflect on my day, I'm just sitting down thinking, where do I begin? Yeah, you're depleted at the end of the day. If you spend all the energy, I mean, what, what's left in the tank to go through this exercise? So I'm, I'm with you. Love it. I mean, for me personally, the way that I do it is I start every morning with the miracle morning and I grab the journal. And it used to be the three gratitude questions or the three things I'm grateful for most. And I've evolved that over time to a different thing because now gratitude is built in on its subconscious now. So I don't have to write it anymore to feel it. Now it's different. I, I can tell you that what you're what you're sharing to reflect on, uh, I like to reflect on the previous day this morning when I feel a little bit, I guess, recharged, because I'm the best in the morning between 4.30 and 7. That's that's when I'm at my peak. Mentally, I'm full of energy. So I will do the reflection of the previous day, or even more specifically, not today, I will reflect on the areas that I would call the highlights, where I made forward progress. And I'll reflect on the areas that I call maple syrup, which are the things that just slow down and they were nice. They felt good in the now, but they really probably weren't the best long term. You know, so I'll reflect on uh, the highlights of the maple syrup. And for me, that's that's how I'm able to make progress. But and I love that. And I tell you, if, if I may, the reason I like that is because what you're doing is you're creating a wee bit of distance between the day and the reflection. And that's then allowed some of the subconscious processing to happen. So all of a sudden, you're kind of able to access those pieces that weren't necessarily available to you when it was still so close. Today's episode of the Eternal Optimist podcast is sponsored by kiss. And when I say kiss, I don't mean the old adage of keep it simple, stupid. In my vocabulary, the word stupid is actually a bad word. Don't ever use that. Teach my kids not to use that word. It's a word that can really offend and hurt feelings and really cause red line language to be coming up inside of us. I rarely hear the word stupid and think this is going to lead to a productive conversation. So, in today's episode, KISS, the sponsor is Keep It Super Simple. Keep it super simple, folks. That is what KISS really stands for in today, the modernized version of KISS. KISS, today's sponsor for the Eternal Optimist podcast. Chock full of nuggets and wisdom. I appreciate the things that you've shared thus far, Saida. Uh, I would love to continue the discussion. I think we may even have a, a second episode at some point in the future because I love everything you've said and questions, but we've got to keep moving to uh, what's next. Like, What is the next place that you are excited about in your world? Where are you going? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the, the piece that I'm really, really excited about is exploring kind of evidence-based conversations in the workplace regarding this piece on identity and intersectionality and interculturality because I think the we need to have spaces where people belong and feel like that they belong from the inside and it's easy to do but not enough organizations are doing it so here I've got the work that I'm doing in terms of my own coaching practice my research and actually taking that out and putting it into organizations for me is just really really inspirational because you know when you have a process and you share it with somebody and then they become the advocates for it and they then are the champions and are speaking about it to their colleagues there's nothing that's a more precious gift than seeing that happen because you don't even need to be there anymore you know, and the work being done without you. Enabling 
better conversations, more awareness, you know, the the power of of every moment in the conversation. I, I love where you are and what you're excited about. How can we find out more about you? I, I know that you have a book out. You know, I'd love to hear about your book and love to hear about where our listeners can hear more about what you're doing, Saida. Gosh, and we didn't even speak about the book and it's behind me. It's <laughs> results, the art and science of getting it done. And I think that kind of shows much more detail in terms of the process that I've used that I've described at a very high level here. In fact, it's actually how I wrote my thesis in a year. So I ended up writing 350,000 words in, in a year and then had to digest that to 80, 75,000 words for the actual submission itself. I could go on for a complete tangent there, but results in the art and science of getting it done, you'll absolutely love it. And to find out more about the work that I'm kind of currently doing, I would say you can find me at sayada.com. I'm sure we'll include it in the show notes or Center for Belonging and Understanding. And there's a lot of work there in terms of how you can activate belonging and understanding in yourself. I'm still stuck on 350,000 words. That's like a thousand words a day in a year. You wrote a thousand words a day and then cut it down to a fraction of that all in one year and submitted it. This is all during COVID too? Wow. Wow. That's a story in itself. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. External deadlines and pressure. And then when you feel activated, really, really interesting combination. I'm a big fan. You brought a lot of value to my life before I knew you personally. You were someone that inspired me. So thank you for coming on the show today, Saida. Much appreciated. Look forward to having you back in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a real pleasure and you're just doing such great work. I just want to say that I love the podcast. I love everything that you're working on and that you're inspiring to others to do as well. And just keep on being you. Awesome. Will do. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.